I've known you for a while. Um, we met, I think, when I was probably like 14 or 13, and you were like 16, I think. Yeah, like, like, I don't know. What's our age difference? I'm 30. Three years. Yeah, it's three years. Yeah. Yeah, so I, must, I was like a teenager. I was definitely like in seventh or eighth grade. But I remember you were the first like out kid I knew, you know, like, <laughs> ever. And that was like going back, yeah, to like 2000 easily. Um, so, but when did you like get into like drugs and alcohol? Like really, because you drank in high school that I can remember, but like. Yeah. So that's the, that's the funny thing too with it is that I just drank like the first time I ever drank that wasn't my parents giving me wine or my dad giving me a beer was actually with um, a group of friends that you would know as well. Um, and we had gone to a party and a friend of mine and we split um, a fifth of Jack and I drank a little bit of it and I was like this tastes fucking terrible and so I drank some more and I drank the entire fucking bottle and I to this day I've never been as sick as I as I was then you know even somebody when they bring up Jack Daniels to this day it just it just rubs me the wrong way um and I was just so I loved it but I was so incredibly sick from it but that was my first real experience with being intoxicated um yeah. so when i got into it into it when it really became a problem or when i got into it um uh, but when what's your question well i well that night if you got really sick how long did it take you before you drank again before i drank again well it, it depended on when all of the the cool people were gonna drink again so oh, that's okay. that's a and so i would say probably about two weeks at the most yeah so it wasn't going to stop you from drinking that night. It's not no. like you like had a bad experience. You're like, I won't touch it again for like ever. And then like two years later, you started drinking again. It was, you drank when you could again. <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't a problem. I just assumed this is what everyone does. Doesn't everyone just get so blackout drunk that they throw up for three days? Um, the answer's no. The answer's who knew? No. Who knew? But at 16, I, though. I thought so, too. You know, right. I guess I had role models like you. <laughs> <laughs> Just put it back on me. Put your back yeah. on me. <laughs> so it's 16 now. Now you're starting to, like, drink, drink. But, like, only parties when, like, like you said, like, you're invited. Like, the cool kids invited you, and you're going to go to the party and get drunk. And it, were you always just, like, going to get blackout drunk at every party? It has never once been my intention to get blackout drunk. If anything, it has always been the opposite. It has always been, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna drink like regular people. But for me, personally, you know, we all have our reasons of why we do what we do. Um, but the majority of mine was just always, and I say this all the time, anytime that I'm lucky enough to be asked to speak somewhere, I always started with, you know, um, I have never been comfortable in any room, including this room. You know, even sitting here talking to you, I'm not comfortable. I'm not one that's normally comfortable. And so I quickly found out, obviously, after a few drinks, you're comfortable with anything. And so that's what kind of kicked that off until I found out that there were things that worked even better than that. So, yeah. yeah. And we'll get there because, yeah, I do remember, so like, slightly remember now that we're, like, thinking about, like, I knew you had a problem with pills. Like, you know, we both had the same problem at the same time almost. Um, right. And we didn't even really get high together. It's not even like that. I was almost like... 
I just knew that it was happening, just like you probably knew why it was happening. Um, but I, I vaguely remember, like, when you would, like, you would get drunk drunk back, like, because I would get drunk drunk, you know, like, anybody that was with both of us at the same time while we were drinking had to deal with both of us drunk drunk. <laughs> You're not wrong. Because uh. we never got high together with pills that I can recall, but we definitely got drunk as shit together a bunch of times. We did. Which we did. I can't I can't even recall because of again, I would get blacked out and it's flashes. Like I see us at a fire somewhere. I, you just see like little snippets here and there. Um, there's some there's a garage here, there's a backyard here, there's a basement there. It's like you know, it's typical Jersey drinking high school kind of shit. Like good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. You know, because that's, that's, and now that I, you know, you think back to your drinking days, it was in someone's basement, it was in someone's garage, some random backyard that had a pool in it that nobody ever really went into unless you got thrown in. Like, that was like the Jersey, and then the random woods parties, which never ended well, especially for me. Which, were you I there that I, night? No, I think I've only been to one. I wasn't did, on your level. Did, did my cousin bring you that night when I got alcohol poisoning? I could have swore she wasn't alone. You're at- you're right. Uh, I was there. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. See how much damage drinking does? Um, yeah, I was there. I was there. I do remember that. Actually, it's coming back to me now. You would have been 19 at the time because I was 16. It was the night before Easter, and I drank a bottle of Bacardi in 10 minutes. Bacardi, and they yeah. carried me out on a board, and then they, this is, this yeah. is all, you know what they told me because I don't remember but they carried me out on like a piece of plywood and then like they heard sirens and then they dropped me. And I think that's where you guys arrived. Like at the same yeah. time as the cops. Mm-hmm. So that, wow, that's wild to me. That, that whole piece is just somewhere else. Um, yeah. But that's, that's another good point too. You know, these cool people that we wait to invite us to parties will just drop us on plywood <laughs> if they're sirens. <laughs> And it was an ambulance. The ambulance they called. The cops were there, but eventually they it was the ambulance they heard. They called the fucking ambulance. Why'd you get scared? You called them. We went to get in trouble. So when when were you introduced to actual drugs now? Because did you start with writing the pills or did you start with Coke first? Um, I I could have swore you did Coke. It's tricky because yeah, I did. Um, but no more than what is deemed normal by society, you know, at a bar or at a club, you know, a bump here or a bump there. Um, but I did, I started with that. I really, really liked Coke. Um, I was really big on Coke and drinking. Obviously they tend to go hand in hand. Um, and that was the first thing that I ever went to rehab for. The first thing that I went to rehab for wasn't an opiate it was for alcohol and coke that's what i thought okay now because when was that because i think i was on pills by the time that happened was that late 2000s that was 2008 and what part of 2008 was that what time in 2008 was it i'm just it trying to was, it was during the week that mariah released touch my body as a single because <laughs> and here's why i know that the reason I know that is because... It only took you 13 minutes in to reference Mariah Carey, so I'm really impressed. I actually lost money. Listen, listen. <laughs> I I'm thought it'd be five minutes. <laughs> first five, right. I figured I would have been able to. 
But I just remember people come to get me and they're like, oh, your girl's on the radio, your girl's on the radio. And the song from your bar, I was detoxing from alcohol and coke at the time. So that would have been, and because I know her discography, like the back of my hand, that should have been around like April-ish, March, April of 2008. So, okay, six months later, I found myself getting into pills. It was October 2008. Yep. I don't think I realized it was that early for you. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, it was it was actually earlier than that. The first time I had a bender was in like July of 2008, and it was to the point where it was such a binge for like a week straight that I went to work, and I w- I got sent home because I had the flu, the flu, you know. Cut to six months later, after two months of straight using, you know, when I got heavy into it in October, because I didn't do it again. It's not because I thought it was correlated. It was just I got back from like vacation. And I was just relaxing. I was, you know, I, you know, I drank, dude. You know, I smoked weed. I drank. So, and then for all of September of 2008, I was doing hallucinogenics. Either I was on acid or I was trying shrooms. You know what I mean? Like, I was trying all that stuff. And then because right. alcohol was getting boring to me, it wasn't working. And then that's when I, you know, found pills. Because alcohol stopped working, I found pills. Um, and they were cheap and it was easy and whatever. And, um, but... Yeah, so when I was on a two-month binge then, after I got back into pills in October, I started withdrawing for the first time, and that's when someone said, oh, no, if you just get high, it'll fix it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And not like, oh, my God, this is a concern. It was, oh, thank God, I got the solution. Yeah. <laughs> you know? More drugs, yeah. More drugs, obviously. Really? I'm an adult. I know the answer to this. I did math. So, yeah. so you know, I, I was just like, but that was then. Then I had that realization, though, that like, oh shit, I didn't have the flu back in July. I was fucking withdrawing, like, yeah, son of a bitch. So okay, you go to rehab for the first time now, and it's April two thousand eight. April two thousand eight, and I am what twenty four ish, I guess. Um, and that is when I realized, like, I'm not an addict and I'm not an alcoholic, like look at this guy, look at this woman over here, like, they've lost their family, this one's homeless, this one, as soon as they leave here, they're going to jail, and so, to me, I was like, well, I like to do a little bit of blow, I like to go out to clubs, I can drink, like, everybody does this, it's not that big of a deal, and so, I still didn't, I didn't get it at all, I was just like, all right, like, as soon as I leave here, that's obviously what I'm going to do, and that's what I did. See, that's why I assumed that, (laughs) that's why I assumed that, Maybe you went to rehab after I started getting high, because I could have swore I saw you get high, like, as I was high, or or I got drunk. What's funny is, what's funny is, I specifically remember one incident where there, where I was, I was so sick, and I had actually reached out to you, and I was meeting up with you to buy a pill from you in some store, and I, that, that's a flash in my memory that I think about every now and then. Was Um, that, was that, like... Like early on, like when you got back, no, no, quick. Was, oh, this was the year. Yeah. I do remember that. I do remember sure. meeting you at least a couple different times, yeah. um, because you would randomly. It would be so random, and it would be like Vince. I'm like, I uh, know he's looking for. <laughs> you know? Then it also felt like shitting where you eat, and you know you don't want to. Yeah, and oh yeah, you don't want to have to like ask somebody that you're like friends with. But right. you'd rather ask somebody that's like, yeah, exactly. But you only go to them when you, like, have to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like, I don't want him to know I need these every day. I don't want him to think I'm some kind of junkie or something. Yeah, I just but, need him to think I'm like, I need this just once, and I haven't done him in forever. That's what I'm yeah. telling Yeah, 
Yeah, and I'm gonna stop again right after this. Yeah, this is my last verse and only. It's just been a long day. You get, you know. Yeah, yeah. I got back so, pain, and my doctor cut me off. You know. All so, <laughs> so you get back, and you're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm not like them, so I can go back to drinking and blowing coke. Yeah. So I, I got right back to it. Um, while I had been in that rehab, um, my roommate that I had met there, um, Jimmy, God rest his soul, because I'm sure he's not alive. Um, he was there for heroin and he was, he was young, like young, young. And I remember just thinking like, like, no, you need help. And here I am who can't even realize like you're on your way. Um, and I'm giving him advice. Right. And so we had swapped numbers and he called me when he got out. So I had gotten out first and we decided to meet up in, um, right outside of Newark in Jersey, which is not somewhere you want to be. And we were going to get a hotel room and we were just going to party a little bit. We were going to stop and he was going to pick up dope and I was going to pick up coke and we were just going to like hang out overnight. And so we went, all this happened and we're in the room and it's now like 4 a.m. And I'm obviously like out of my skull. My eyes are fucking bigger than the moon and, and I can't sleep. And he's obviously having no problem with that. And he's like, here, just do a little bit of this. And he's like, you'll be fine. And in my head, heroin was always had that, you know, this stigma to it. And you're like, I would never, you know, I lost family members to it, friends to it. And I'm like, oh, I would never. And in that moment, I was just like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. So he had cut me a line of it to snort. And I just remember, like, as I went down to do it, I remember looking over and there was the wastebasket in the hotel room. And it was just covered with, like, globs and globs of toilet paper just saturated in blood from him oh, just shooting yeah. over and over and over and i was just like wow like what the fuck am i doing but then i did it and i was like oh wow like what is this right and i was just like holy shit and i just remember like just everything was warm and everything was great and i was like wow i was like well i'll never do that again because you know i could definitely see myself getting hooked on that and 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 i left so that was my first but how you just like you snorted it and left, or like you came down and then left. I hope. Oh no, came down and yeah. like later <laughs> checked out. That was that. I never saw Jimmy again. Just FYI, I have no idea. My phone number used to change at least once a week. You'll probably remember that um, because each week I was gonna start over again. Um, so yeah, so that was that. And I went back to just my my normal life. I still would hit up my one Coke Connect every now and then, but it was nothing. It was nothing more than that. It was kind of like a weekend or every other weekend. I would just get some coke, but I would always just drink excessively. At that time, I don't think I was yet sleeping with a bottle of vodka. Yet. Not yet. Not you yet. got there? Oh, yeah. So by the following year, I would I would wake up in the middle of the night, and instead of like a normal human being, like reaching over and getting a bottle of water off the, off the table next to the bed, I would just get my bottle of vodka that was already in bed with me. Um, and I would just, I would just guzzle something and go back to sleep. So that's where I was at in 2009. If you want me to like chronologically go until you interrupt, I can well, do that. Well, yeah, yeah, keep going. Yeah, because I'm, I'm okay. curious, like, yeah. Okay, so, so that was 2009. Um, as You're living at home? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I'm still with my parents. I lived with my parents for a very, very long time because of this. Um, so... At that time, I had been dating someone, and he had told me, like, oh, you know, I'm worried about my roommate. You know, her boyfriend sells uh, sells 30s, 
and you know he gives her them and you know i think she has a problem with them he's like you know i take them every now and then but you know i can take like a half and then i don't even think about it for a month and i was like yeah like that makes sense to me like the fuck do i know and so then the boyfriend comes over and we're all hanging out and and i was like i was like oh yeah like why not so then we had split one and then that was it that is what formally i would say set me off and it was the very next day i was like hey like is he coming over again um and he and i did not work out so you know his loss clearly um but so, so that did you run into sniffing him right away then because no. I, remember okay so 30s were my thing so like i i do have questions when it comes to these now that we're on this topic um because I remember the first time I did, like, I was like, I'm like, I want this every day. You know what I mean? Like, this is what I want and I'm okay with it. Like, you know, so like, did you ate it the first time or did you sniff it? I ate it. Okay. Just ate a half a 30 and you were off to the moon. I was on the moon. It was great. Was up most of the night. And I'm like, the next day I wanted it again. Still thought like, how much of a problem could that be? It's like ten, it's ten dollars for for half a pill. Like this will never be a problem. Um, New question. Yeah. Now, how long had it been since you tried the heroin the first time? It had probably been about six or eight months. Okay. That oh, time. You know, that okay, and you were all coked up, so you just got even with heroin the first time. So it's not like you caught a feeling of opiates the first time. You were just coming back down with it. So that's... Right, right. That's why you didn't... Like, if you would have just did a line of heroin, I'm sure, you never would have did a 30. Because you would have wanted that heroin feeling the next day. But luckily for you, luckily, you were so coked out that that heroin feeling brought you back to just, like, normal-ish, where you could feel the body high, but brought you just down to here and not all the way down. Or else you would have chased that all the way down like you did from the Roxy because that all the way down feeling is significant when it's alone the first time and not aided by other things. Hugely different. Hugely different. Not, yeah, nowhere near on the same level. Um, but yeah, that was that. I ate the half there, so it wasn't even like it was a full, exactly. So from there, you know, I lost my connection to that, to that guy anyhow. What's funny, actually, is, like, the 15, I could, like, the first time I got, like, extremely high that, like, that set me off was only two 10s. I did two perk 10s, and I was just, like, I got higher than I ever did. And then um, when I was after a few different days in a row that I was seeing my guy, I used to meet him at the Zeppies when that still existed. And um, he actually passed away a few years ago from, like, cirrhosis, I think. Um, But he was, like, a regular around town. Um, but I saw him, and he was like, you know, like, you're buying all these 10s. You can just buy a 30 for $20 and, like, save your money because the 10s are 10. I'm like, oh, shit, okay. And he's like, plus you can snort them. I'm like, oh, okay. Then I was really off, you know. Then once I was able to find them, like, I only did 10s when I couldn't find 30s. Like, I was off. Like, so how long did it take before you, now you ate one before you snorted one? So because that's a different thing. Yeah, well... Just a few months after that, I had um, I had met a new friend, and um, his best friend was a big time dealer, like massive amounts of weight moving back and forth. And so, just at any given moment, I mean, there's hundreds of thirties available. There's, and it's like, oh yeah, like here's just like a handful. Um, 
Okay, so when's the first time you got into like sniffing pills now? Like how you said you met that dude? Yeah, so it was my, my ex best friend. Um, so it was just a matter of months, a few months after that, um, I had gotten more through this. And that was the first time that I even knew you could sniff the pill. Like I had no idea. Um, and so they were doing it, and I was like, oh, like, I guess this is like what we're doing. Um, and so. So we did, and that was a completely different experience because that was not only sniffing it, that was a whole 30. That was the first time that I had ever done that, and it was, I was, I thought I was going to throw up, um, <laughs> but <laughs> after that, I just, I fell in love with that. I fell in love with that feeling, that, yeah. you know, everything was good. Yeah, because, you know, when people are trying to escape things or trying to hide things or trying to, like, feel accepted, when you feel that, like, blanket you know, you're like, oh, I can settle into this nice and good for a while. It's exactly yeah. what it is. It, it's <laughs> I mean, even during that time, if I if I had that in me, I mean, so many things that I look back now, one of the biggest things that, that probably, you know, is the reason why I had six years um, the last month is Facebook, Facebook memories that come up. And you see these things that you said and I don't know about you, but I like to get like as as looped up as I could, and I would get on some soapbox about some hot topic, and I felt like everyone needed to read six paragraphs of my opinion on this topic that's just like expletive, expletive laced, just this rambling tangent. And I look back now, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, why does anybody even still talk to me? Like, like it's literally the ramblings of a madman. <laughs> <laughs> Things that pops up, and I'm like. Christ. Um, but as you said, it's like that, it's that security blanket. And so, you know, I had started arguments with family members and family members that are, you know, in my even monthly or yearly life. But I felt like, you know what, I better step in here and I better let them know that she's a bitch for this. And, and to this day, don't talk to some of these people. But because, you know, you're when you have that, it's, it's kind of like the same security of, you know, cyberbullying, you know, you're behind the keyboard. So yeah. they, what it did for me and as you said when you struggle with feeling accepted that you don't need anyone's acceptance you don't care at that point you you have what you need yeah i i always yeah it's like a it is like a really it's the most toxic relationship you could ever be in you know it, it is like where everybody's telling you to stop and you're just like you don't understand you know like you don't get it we have something special like it, it, it <laughs> It really is the most toxic relationship that I've ever been in, you know, which is saying a lot. Um, so, I mean, did you, did, were you, did you ever date anybody that you were using with? Like, were, were you guys, like, I, I had this, you know, what do you call it, junkie love, you know, where you're like, you're both just getting high together and that's what you're doing. Yeah, so I, I didn't respect to that with the person I'm talking about now that obviously I've been spoken to in six years um it, it was essentially that and it, it, it kind of was you know obviously you're just you're just feeding each other's habits you're just that's the basis of what that friendship or relationship in general is um and had that and couldn't understand or imagine that person not in my life and that was that was the whole foundation of it, which is you know something that I hope we would touch on today just because I think that that's something that I didn't, you know, that I had never given much thought to of 
the actual act of cutting someone out of your life for that. And I think that was the biggest and hardest thing that I struggled with that I actually, I still struggle with like to this day, to this day, it's something that, you know, I haven't made peace with and something that maybe one day I will, but the entire relationship that, you know, it was family every single day, like basically lived together. And that was the basis of it. And so once, you know, I had made the decision to you know, follow through and finally get clean, that had to go as well. And so what's funny is, you know, we moved, we moved where we are now um, a year ago. And it just so happens to be two blocks away from, he doesn't live here anymore. But it's one of those things that even like driving home, like it will trigger those same things. And I remember this used to be my ride. I go pick up, come back this way. And it's funny that six years later, it's still like, um, it's that muscle memory. I almost want to make that same turn. It's the same thing, but it's so, it's so entrenched with that, with that toxic relationship and that, that you know. Yeah, exactly. Because um, that, that's one of those things where you kind of don't, you, at that time, that's the only person you can see yourself being with because the only person that really understands what you're going through and you, you know what I mean? The only person you can be completely honest with. But how long did it take you to realize that? Because, you know, we were joking about that earlier, of, you know, we're, we're, when you're in that toxic relationship with the drug and, you know, people are telling you to stop and you're like, but why? We have something special. How long did it take you to realize that you didn't have something special and that you were just an addict? Because I feel like I figured that out pretty early on, but just couldn't do it. I, I literally, um, you'll see in a couple of days when my story comes out on my birthday, um, that I knew that I was an addict within a month. So, like, you know, somebody had their, like, teeth taken out. So we were hanging out. He had, like, Perc 5s, right? Just straight up Percocet 5 milligrams. And I had done, like, 430s before I walked in there. Like, just, like, slammed 430s, snipped them, and then went up to hang out with them. And we were, like, put on a movie or put on a video game. And he took one Perc 5, and he was out cold within an hour. And I would just like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, well, that's that's telling me something. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. And I was like, well, what are we gonna do here? Because like, I really, I was just so high, like, had a conversation with myself. Like, I do that a lot. And I'm yeah. like, what are we like? And I was like, this is like, I love this feeling. And I've never had this feeling from alcohol, from weed, nothing ever touched this feeling. And I feel better than I've ever felt before. So I'll just, obviously I'm still working. I'm still functioning. Everything's still good. I'm not in jail. Fuck it. It's fun. Let's do it. Just don't yeah. do heroin. My rule was just don't do heroin. And that was, I, I was lucky enough that I had that conversation so early on. And I think that's also why it lasted for as long as it did, because I thought I was in control from the get go, you know, but, and I asked that it's funny. Cause I usually ask that question to everybody and you cut me off to it this time which is when did you know you were an addict? Because most people answer, um, like 30 days into AA, I finally said I was an alcoholic, you know, like stuff like that. Like they were in just in total denial of their entire addiction and everything. So like, when did you know you were addicted? So those are two different questions that you asked me. So the first one was, when did you know you were an addict? And the other was, when did I know I was addicted? To, in the interest I, of here, yeah. <laughs> I knew I was an addict in general when I was a kid, and it had nothing to do with alcohol or drugs. I have always 
known as an addict. My family's always been open with me about family members who struggled with drug addiction. And so I was well aware of what addiction was and how it could, you know, present itself in different ways. It's not just alcohol or drugs. So I knew as a kid that I was an addict. When I knew I was addicted to to pills was still in that same month. And it was in um, August of 2009. I knew then. Okay. So, like... And did you, were you okay with it that you were like, well, I need these every day and that's okay? It was, I wasn't okay with it. And I, you know, I wasn't okay with knowing exactly what was going to happen. You know, I didn't have the benefit of pretending to be ignorant or or to not know. I knew exactly what was going to happen, but I would weigh it in my head. And by then, obviously your thinking's already fucked. So I'm thinking that, okay, like, I get it, like, this is probably going to ruin my life, but also look at everything I'm able to do and look how, like, I'm okay with myself. I can walk into a Wawa without freaking out that 15 people see me walk in there, like, look at this faggot. Um, and that was mainly, like, what, what it was. And, it, you know, it, it was when I realized if I, if, if that high was coming down, those same feelings about walking into a store, walking past people, whatever it might be, would come back. And that's when I realized, oh, you're an addict. Okay, so I'm not going to, I can't breeze right by that one. So is that something that was always on your mind, that you were self-conscious, like that you were being judged, like, for your sexual orientation? Since I was a kid, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, but for that, I probably wouldn't have, you know, obviously I would have been an addict either way, but I wouldn't have, um, sought out these other substances. I think, um, you know, I just remember being a kid and I used to, <laughs> it's not going to be a surprise to you, did you? But, you know, I used to, I would wear like a blanket over me and I don't know if you're familiar, but you know, the bodyguard Whitney Houston and, you know, she would do that queen of the night performance and she would like, <laughs> first off, the title of the song alone, queen of the night. Right. And I used to like rip it off and I would do like the choreography in the living room as a kid. And I, <laughs> so I, I <laughs> so that's what I mean. That's why I'm kind of surprised. So, no, so I did, the, the reason why I'm laughing is that, that I didn't realize I was different and I didn't realize that that wasn't normal until it was told to me. And so I think that was when I started to, get, to have the realization and be aware of how my, presenting really you know like how is my walk are, like my arms are, are they going too much like are my hips swiveling when i'm walking are they you know are my s's you know too pronounced those are things that i thought that i started having really early on as a kid i mean i went to catholic school in south philly so you can imagine um so it's not like there is much acceptance preached there um and then you know i moved over to into the suburbs from there at that transitional like seventh grade um, piece. And at that moment, um, for my first day of school, I remember being excited for my first day of school at a new school in a new place. And as soon as I got there, everybody hated me and it, that kicked that off. And then, so within the week it had become about the gay thing, which obviously I always make that joke that they knew I was gay before I did. Like I had no idea. And I was, Am I? What's that? And I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I am. Like, I do linger in the underwear aisle looking at the thing, maybe. Um, but <laughs> that was when that was when when that became.
anything and then it didn't stop so even if it had after if it had stopped that was already burned into my head um like all through school i didn't come out until i was 17 which i know is is young it's not young today but it's not young today i mean yeah we were um yeah it's definitely not young today we had um one of the best we had the lgbtq meetings here on thursdays that you yeah. know that i saw it on your thing yeah yeah and and um one of our board members you know they just had their name you know changed over recently and they you know they run the meeting with me and my wife and usually i don't run that meeting at all i just sit there and i chime in here and there um but the youth we have invited the youth in too because you know the issue of lgbtq and the youth right now um so it has always been like here and there like one will show up this week and another will show up this week and this past week there was like six of them that came in but they staggered in at different times and some of them they're all 12 transitioned out everything the one girl had her dad with them her dad with her like and then yeah yeah they were so excited to see each other and, and see that they had other friends in town and shit like we were all like all the adults were like crying <laughs> we were all just like <laughs> handing the tissues around because like we sent them in the other room to have a meeting off by themselves for like their own youth meeting and we all just bawling <laughs> <laughs> so because like obviously like you couldn't be you know that accepted at 12 you know no and that's that's see i think kids today are are at an advantage and also at a disadvantage you know when i was realizing all of this was you know at a time when will and grace had just come out and you know that was something brand new and they would actually debate and mention on the news you know that they're trying to get it pulled because they shouldn't be showing this on tv what about the children um and all that and so you just internalize all that you're like, oh my god i'm a fucking freak like yeah you're right like you better pull that off like i must be awful and so like you cover that up but today's kids i think you know, there's so much more awareness. Kids are coming out in first grade and saying, you know, yeah, I'm not a boy. You know, I feel like a female or whatever it is. So they have that. But I also think that we're in a time now where there's almost less tolerance than there was a few years back. And I think that they feel that and they do get that. I see that a lot, you know, in my job. I see that the older viewpoint is even it's, be, it's becoming an even bigger thing than it was five years ago and, and these kinds of views where they're really, ha- they're hammering down on this of, no, if you're born this, this is what you are. And no, a man should be with a woman. And you're shocked that in 2021 that the, this is really the messaging that we give these kids. And so it should come as no surprise that these kids develop substance abuse issues, you know? And look at the numbers. I, I had to present something on this before and it, I was shocked because I didn't know. I researched it, but seventy-five percent, I think, and suicide rates. And I, I was just, this is a problem. But I think they go hand in hand. And I think you're right about the accessibility. Really, kudos to you for making that even a thing to have an LGBTQ um, group because that's something even in this area is hard to find. You know, there's one that meets on Sundays, and there's one in like PA. I think there might be two here now. We so, might be the one in PA you're thinking of. You're probably the one in PA. Exactly. Now I gotta go to the Poconos. Um, but so really, that that's awesome to hear. But I, I think that's a big part of it. And I think that finally people are starting to address that. You know, people like you guys that you know these kids need that outlet. So yeah. So when I got out of rehab the last time, 
you know, I probably also important to mention that I was in and out of 13 different rehabs um, from 2008 until 2015. So you kept having to, you know, did your mom kept saying you had to go or your dad or that you kept saying you had to go? So every single time until the last time it was, and it wasn't ever, you have to go. It's a, you need help. By the end, it wasn't a secret. I mean, it was, I had ruined all of their lives. I don't know how my parents had even stayed together. I mean, you know, I was lucky enough that, you know, my family was well off enough to be able to make certain things available to me that most people don't have. Um, and so they would always, yeah, they would say like, you gotta go here. And my mother would get on the phone and call, you know, my mother, and she would call and this is what it is. This is what he needs. And so you really couldn't bullshit her, but I would find a way to manipulate her with that. Um, but the thing was every single time for 12 of those times when I was in there, it was always in my head. And I was always, I always knew like when I got out, I was going to get hot. Like that was part of it. It was just, it's this You thing. were just, you were just a, making them happy while also detoxing yourself and taking a tolerance break because you couldn't afford it and you couldn't lie to them anymore. Honestly, it wasn't even that. It was more of, I think I just didn't want to put in the work and I wanted to, and I was like, all right, like, I'll be open to it. Like, I'll go and maybe like, it'll be super easy and, you know, I'll click a few buttons and it'll fix me. I won't have to do any of the work. And obviously that doesn't happen. So you get out and you do what you do. And so that last time. Um, well, why did you go in that last time? What was that? that, that there's like, always like something that like leads up to it. Yeah, well, my family had gone away, and by then I wasn't going on any trips with them. I couldn't be that far from my supplies by that point. Um, the year prior to that, I had gone to the shore with them, which is like two hours away from where we live. And every day I would I would leave the shore and go pick up more and then come back. So it would be a four-hour ride. So one day went to the Cape May Zoo, Googled pictures of monkeys and screenshotted them as proof that we went. Um, like that level of manipulating um but that last time they had gone on a trip they were on their way back and i just it, it, it nothing crazy had really even happened it was just that you know i had some i had some xanax in me and i had obviously heroin in me and but i was still clear-minded and i just was like, like i i can do so much more than this and you know like i something clicked in my brain differently that day it just was that you're meant to do bigger things than this. You're meant to do more than this. Like you're a piece of shit. Stop. It, it, it is what I felt like in every cell of my body. I felt like when they get back, I'm going to tell them I'm going to rehab. And they did. They came back. I told them I went. Um, they didn't pay for it. I had an inheritance from my grandfather. And so I paid for that. Um, and I took it seriously. I, you know, when I got out, you know, they made me do the, the part of like one of the, the group sessions was, you know, breaking up with people really. And so we would role play it. And every time I started like, I'm never gonna be able to do this, but that's fine. Like, let, let's just role play it out. It's fine, but it's not going to happen. And, and I left and I was just like, this isn't, gonna, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. It's like my brother at this point, you know, and years, years, like lived with me. And I was just, so anyway, so when I, got back um i decided that like i needed to do the vivitrol job and you know i had only known very little about it but i knew that even you know suboxone since it's still you know an opioid um that you had to be 10 days clean of everything 
And when I had gotten out of rehab, that meant I had seven days at home that I would have to stay completely abstinent before I could get it. And I was just like, this is crap. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. That's, I'm still withdrawing. And I was. And terribly, I always withdraw um, terribly on Suboxone. And so, oh, I you were on Suboxone from rehab. And then, oh, okay. You were, you were doing taper. I had, yeah, I had been, I think, four or five days off of the taper, but I was still so incredibly sick and couldn't sleep. And it was like one of my worst detoxes that I had. And so my family had come to get me and we had put together this plan that I would never be alone in those seven days. And so people rearranged work schedules, whatever it was to make sure that I was never anywhere but myself. And so those seven days went, I went and I was able to get the shot. And I'll be honest with you, JD, I would not be here talking to you right now without that shot. There's just no way in hell that I would have been able to stay strong enough to have done it a, a different way. And I think it's an incredible tool that so many people don't know about or don't have access to. You know, it is covered by welfare insurance. It's covered, you know. Um, but I decided to get that shot, and I did. And the day I got that shot is when I went to go visit that friend. And, you know, I figured, like, can't get high now. There's no risk there. So I went. And I pulled up out front, just like I had a trillion times before, went in, went back down into that basement. It's just, you know, the way I remember it now, six years later, it was just a dark dungeon. And, and it essentially was. And I just went down there, and I sat on the couch, and I just remember feeling like, like you don't belong here anymore. Like, I, I just, I just didn't identify with the person I was there, what, like three weeks before? And I was just like, I can't do this, and I'm not going to do this. And so, like, I was getting all in my head. I was getting, you know, short of breath. I got up, and I was like, listen, I got to run somewhere, but, you know, I'll be back tomorrow. And I knew, as I said it, that wasn't going to happen. I was never going to come back again. And I got in my car, and I left. And, you know, I cried like a child. And I did for months and months, if not years after that, um, because that was just it. And so then I said, listen, we can't be in each other's lives. That was that. A year later, I got a text, and it was like, oh, you know, I see you're in this relationship. I'm really happy for you. It was a really nice message. And I'm like, well, you know, you can change your life, too. And it was just, that's what it was. And then I blocked him. And a few years after that, he reached out to my family and had asked for help with getting into rehab. My parents paid for a lot of things, and they got him into a rehab program. I don't know if he's sober now. It's been my request to, you know, friends and family. I don't want an update. I don't want to hear anything. But I, I, I think that that's something that is so important that maybe you guys should do that too, but like the breakup stuff. Because I, I had been in 12 times before and no one had ever even addressed that to me. And without that combination of cutting that toxic relationship out and that shot, I, I truly don't think I would be here right now. Yeah, I, did, I didn't even know that shot existed until like recently, you know, into sobriety, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I got sober in 2018. That goes to show, you know, but it's only because I think my rehab was more of a 12-step rehab, and it was more like we're going to get you an AA kind of rehab, so they're not going to promote, like, the map. Actually, you know what? I think that's when I heard about it was, like, when I was three months sober because somebody was going to get it, and I, for the, and I forgot about it. Um, but, yeah, and he still shot up with it. When it yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, the doctor I went to for it is somebody that if you Google him, there's a lot of stuff on there. So he wasn't the, he wasn't great, but that's who I could get into the quickest. So I went to him, and then I went to someone else after for, I think I went for a year and a half 
I got the shot every month. Um, but he also prescribed Ritalin as part of this thing. And so even think I still had a crush on Sniffenorder, the Ritalin, just because the behaviors are so ingrained. And I just remember thinking, like, Jesus Christ, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, knock it off. I never, you know, that kind of thing never happened again, but um, it's just so ingrained. In no, it really is. So you, what made you comfortable to get off this shot then after a year and a half? So uh, it was really important to me that I knew that I was that I could do it without any kind of assistance. And it was it was really nothing more than that. I mean, I had never really intended on being on it past three months, but when I got to three months, I was like, like I never thought I'd be here. Like, what, what's the big deal? You know, it's a minor discomfort for a second, and then it's done. You know, you're you're kind of foolish not to take advantage of it if you're a repeat relapser like myself. Um, that was it. I just wanted to know that I could do it without anything else, and so I just made that decision. And you know, I, I have to be honest with you, I feel incredibly lucky that from the second I got the shot outside of the initial reaction in my head of like fuck I really can't get high at least for 30 days and you have that panic and then I realized like I, I didn't want to and from that moment I have never once wanted to use an opiate since not since that I guess that technically makes it September of 2015 but never once have I had the urge or been close to never and I've had it around me, people taking medicine, like legit taking medication. Yeah. Um, and and it's never, it never triggered anything for me. And I've spoken to some other people who, uh, who went the Vivitrol route as well, in addition, of course, to the programs. Um, and they felt the same way. So I don't know if it has something to do with that, because I know it also curbs alcohol cravings, which is craving. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that has anything to do with that. It all works on the reward center, I guess. Yeah, and probably so much of it for so long, it probably just keeps your mind off of it for so long that you you create new habits instead to obsess over. Because that addiction that addiction that you said as a kid is more of an obsession, like how you obsess with Mariah Carey, you know. And let's be real, like I saw Mean Girls a hundred times because you were obsessed with it. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. So you know, it's stuff like that. I'm sure that that has something to do with it. Remember the one time I ran into you at Seven Eleven. Definitely before you got sober, because I remember thinking, like, he looks terrible. And, you know, it's not my place. You know, but I was just like, wow, he's, you were fucked up. You know, we ran into each other. Remember? I don't know if you remember. You very well may not have. Um, Pretty high on drugs then, buddy. Yeah, we were both making coffee. That's what I remember. I just remember being like, ooh. It's like, oh, shit, JD. Yeah. I wonder if I was across the street or. No, it was something like. Oh. Yeah. I was going back to PA. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I would stop at 7-Eleven before I would get back on the 676 to go over. The, I was living in Lancaster at the time. Uh, and, uh, like, four times a week, I would drive from where I lived in Mannheim to South Jersey to town to grab and then go back again. So I was driving back and forth, you know, two hours each way, four times a week um, for, like, three years. So it's things that come up and there's things that I think affect you the rest of your life. I, I, it's with what you do, of course, it's going to be an everyday topic. And I know it's not, you know, typical for everyone else, but it is. I mean, Alex, my partner, he's clean and sober now, um, was also an addict. My family makes it a point to bring it up, but in a positive way now. You know, I was always the problem child of the family. Now there's actually good things that they can talk about. 
so I, I do always talk about it. I do have my other friends that are in recovery that I can, you know, talk to. Because really the thing that I struggle with the most, if I'm being honest, is alcohol. Just because of, you know, the way our society is and everything's dependent upon it. So, you know, a business dinner, a this and that. And I am so uncomfortable in those situations. And it is so incredibly hard to not drink, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's so funny that I just saw so many posts the other day, like, about ending the stigma of like alcohol being acceptable right you know you know because like it's it's like ridiculous that like if i was to do a play date you know what i mean and that's i think that's what happened in the post like she was going on a play date with her kid and she met the other mom and the other mom offered her a margarita and she was like oh no it's okay and but like because she didn't want to have to explain and then all of a sudden she's the bad person not the person they drink and what the kids are playing She's the bad person because she had a problem and she's just open about it. So she just kept saying, oh, I can't, I can't. And, but it's, it's ridiculous. But it, and it's also hard because you can go into stores and see it all over. You see commercials, everything for alcohol. Like, can you imagine they did that with pills and you walk into 7-Eleven and there was like a smorgasbord of the different fucking 30s, you know, where the lotto tickets are? Exactly. You know? <laughs> I think that's the problem, and I think that that's the that's what gives people permission. You know, I, I don't know. You know, far be it for me to make an opinion on that, but I I don't know that it's appropriate to have alcohol featured in commercials. You know, I, I think that you know it's well known that it's a toxin, and you know humans aren't really supposed to drink it. And then on top of that, I so I, I don't know, but yeah, because I thought about the same analogy in my head and i'm like imagine like pure heroin like on your tv screen i mean exactly but that you know it's but at one point they had commercials for cigarettes too you right. know but as you uh, look, you do better you get information you get new information and then you change and that's okay like it's weird how that works in most things in life you're allowed to learn Thank you so much for sitting down talking. I know you're busy with work and shit all the time, but, like, you know, we haven't caught up, but still, like, we never talked about, like, our histories of using together because, like, we sold, you know, occasionally we'd help, you know, see each other. But, like you said, I don't even really remember seeing you that night. Like, so, but thank you again, Vince. I appreciate it. It was awesome catching up. So I'll let you get back to work. I'm going to get back to more work. So, all right. Thanks, Steve. It was so good to see you. You too. See you later.